Well, take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. I know many of you were wondering if I was going to tell you to turn to the book of Romans, right? And uh, this is just kind of a funky Sunday. You just don't know who's going to be here and uh, don't want to keep plowing through our uh, normal Sunday exposition when people might be out of town and we don't want them to miss uh, the party, as you as it were, as we're going through um, such a great book as Romans. And so as I was thinking and, and praying about what to preach on this morning, the Lord directed me to the familiar story of Mary and Martha here in Luke chapter 10. Now, at first glance, it might seem like a pretty random passage. Um, boy, pastor was desperate this morning to find something to preach on, right? Um, between Christmas and New Year's, because it doesn't seem like there's anything Christmassy about this passage, this story that we're all uh, familiar with, and, and there's not necessarily anything inspiring about it to get us ready for the new year, per se, but, but hopefully you're going to see how relevant this text is to our lives, particularly during the holiday season. There's no other time of the year when we should feel closer to Christ I mean, you think about it. We spend an entire month anticipating and celebrating Christ's birth. But the most wonderful time of the year, as the, the old song says, is also the most hectic and chaotic time of the year. Somebody should write a song about that. And ironically, the busyness of Christmas time typically makes us feel more distant from Christ than ever. I don't know if that's your experience. I feel that way oftentimes. And I think it's because of all the added distractions in our lives. Things that we're normally not thinking about. There's enough distraction in life as it is, but then you just add December into that and you've got decorating the house inside and out and you've got all the cooking and the baking and the shopping for gifts and the wrapping of gifts and the sending gifts and waiting in line at the post office and hosting family members, traveling to see family, going to parties, going to movies, um, watching bowl games. Um, so many, you, you, you use track of which bowl game did I watch and who's playing who and there's just so many out there, staying up late, sleeping in. I mean, again, all of these things are, are good things. They're not bad things. But they tend to take our focus off of Christ and leave us feeling as hollow as a chocolate Santa. If you ate a few of those over the past week, you know what I'm talking about. And desperately needing to just to shake off all the distractions and be refocused, to be renewed in our relationship with Christ. And if there was a sense of desperation in me, it wasn't so much to figure out what to preach this morning, it was just feeling desperate to get rid of all these distractions and just get refocused on Christ. I mean, after all, the opposite of being distracted is being what? Focused. And that is what the story of Mary and Martha is all about and why it fits so appropriately in the transition that we're in between Christmas and the new year. 
Let's read it together. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Father, thank you for this unique Sunday, sitting between Christmas and New Year's. And while there are so many places in your word we could go to to be encouraged, to be challenged, it seems like, at least in my mind, in my heart, this is an appropriate place for us to be this morning. And I, I pray that you would, by your spirit, use this text to refocus us and renew us as we launch into the new year, that we would have our priorities set firmly so that when we do face the daily distractions and the things that we're not even aware are going to happen that you've ordained for us this next year, all sorts of unplanned, unexpected distractions, that, Lord, we would be riveted on the person of Christ and that we would walk intimately with him on a daily basis, we pray. In his name, amen. Someone said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. And years ago, I was sent an email with this hypothetical scenario that I've never forgotten. Let me just read it for you. It was simply called Distractions. Satan called a worldwide convention. In his opening address to his evil angels, he said, we can't keep the Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We even can't keep them from conservative values, but we can do something else. We can keep them from forming an intimate, abiding relationship with Christ. If they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. So let them go to church, let them have their conservative lifestyles, but steal their time so they can't gain that relationship with Jesus. This is what I want you to do, angels. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. How shall we do this, shouted the demons. Keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent unnumbered schemes to occupy their minds, he answered. Tempt them to spend, 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 then borrow, borrow, borrow. Convince the wives to go to work for long hours and the husbands to work six or seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day, so they can afford their lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children. As their family fragments, soon their homes will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear God's still small voice. 
Entice them to play the radio or the CD player whenever they drive, to keep the TV, VCR, CDs, and, and their PCs going constantly in their homes. Fill their coffee tables with magazines and newspapers. Pound their minds with the news 24 hours a day. Invade their driving moments with billboards. Flood their inboxes with junk mail, sweepstakes, mail order catalogs, and every kind of newsletter and promotional offering, free products, services, and false hopes. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from their recreation, their vacation, exhausted, disquieted, and unprepared for the coming week. Don't let them go out in nature to reflect on God's wonder. Send them to amusement parks and sporting events and concerts and movies instead. And when they meet for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip and small talk so that they leave with troubled consciences and unsettled emotions. He went on, let them be involved in ministry, but crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Christ. Soon they will be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and family unity for the good of the cause. Well, it was quite a convention in the end, and the evil angels went eagerly to their assignments, causing Christians everywhere to get busy, 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 and rush here and there so that they had no time to pursue an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. This was Paul's fear for the believers in Corinth. If you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Verse 3, I'm afraid, Paul said, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. I mean, we're so easily led astray, drawn away from what matters most. We allow ourselves to get distracted by, by all sorts of things. And there, there, there are so many lesser things. And again, they're not necessarily bad things. But most often, it's the good things that keep us from doing the, the best thing. And really, it's simply a matter of our priorities being out of order. And uh, this story here in Luke chapter 10 is... It's not so much a story about two sisters as it is about two priorities. We understand a priority, right? That's something that is most important in our life. We say this is a priority. This is a priority to us. That means it's the most important thing. And so in this passage, what we, what we see here is a contrast between two different priorities regarding a person's relationship with Jesus Christ. The first priority is, is being concerned with work, and that's obviously exemplified by Martha. The second priority is being consumed with worship, and that is exemplified by, by Mary. And we need to understand that, that in a relationship with Christ, both of these priorities are important. It's not like it's either or, it's a both and, but one of these Priorities is clearly more important than the other. And Jesus makes it very clear which one is the most important priority to him. In other words, what does he want most from you? What does he want most from me? 
Well, let's see how Jesus used this simple visit to his friend's house to teach them and us a profound lesson in what is most important in our relationship to Christ. And so let's look first of all at priority number one, and that is being concerned with work, being concerned with work. And of course, this is modeled here for us by Martha. Verse 38, now as they were traveling along, they being Jesus and his disciples, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. This village, not named by Luke, mentioned elsewhere as Bethany. This was about two miles uh, from Jerusalem. Uh, this was the, 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 the uh, residence of Martha and Mary, uh, who were sisters, um, and they were uh, sisters also to their brother, who? Lazarus. And uh, we know from the story in John chapter 11, when Lazarus died and Jesus resurrected him, um, it said very clearly in John 11, verse 5, that Jesus loved them very much. So Jesus had a very special relationship with this family, and particularly these two women, Mary and, and Martha. And, and by the way, this wasn't the only time that, that Jesus had been to their house. Um, th this wasn't the only time that, that Martha had hosted Jesus and the disciples and cooked dinner for them. Uh, we see that in John chapter 12, verse 1. She did it, a, there was another occasion where she did this. And so we get the impression right away that Mary was very hospitable, or excuse me, Martha was very hospitable. Um, and she was very gracious and, and generous in inviting Christ and his disciples to stay with her, uh, stay with them at, at their house. But notice what it says here, verse 40. But Martha was, here it is, distracted. Let's just close in prayer. <laughs> there it is. Martha was distracted with all her preparations, literally with her much service. And so here she was just continually being pulled away or or, or drawn away by all that she had to do. I mean, she's being pulled in a hundred different directions at the same time. And I, I would imagine that she wanted to be doing what her sister was doing. She wanted to be sitting at, at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. And she probably was trying to listen to the conversation. And yet her attention was distracted by all she had to get done. And we've all been in that situation, right, where we've been busy doing something, there's a conversation going on over here, and we're trying to listen in to the conversation, and we're only getting bits and pieces of it, and it's kind of frustrating, we wish we could just drop what we we're doing and just go sit there and hear the whole conversation. Ladies, you can appreciate this passage probably more than us guys ever will, because this is very typical when people come over to the house there's um, a tendency to get flustered by all that needs to get done and, and, and um, you know, there's just kind of a hectic feeling and it's kind of chaotic and you're trying to, you know, dust and vacuum and, 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 and set the table and, and cook dinner and, and, and uh, you know, you're cooking something in the pot over here and you've got something in the microwave over here, something's in the oven here and you're just, you know, you're trying to, it's a juggling act, right? And, and I remember this caused a bit of contention early on in our marriage whenever we would have guests over 
my wife insisted that, you know, we clean the house and I could get that, but then she made sure that I cleaned the bathtub. I'm like, honey, they're not going to take a bath, okay? They're going to be eating and they're going to live. Why do we have to clean the bathtub? There was just something about, yeah, I want my house clean, right, for my guests, right? But, but so it's, again, the whole thing, you're, you're trying to get all this stuff done and, 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 and you're trying to, in the meantime, especially if the guests are already there and you're trying to entertain them as well. And the point is you just want everything to be what? Perfect. You want to serve your guests well. And, and we get that. We appreciate that. Because that's the way we are when we have friends come over. But can you imagine what it would be like if Jesus was coming over? And not just Jesus, he's bringing 12 guys with him. So you got 13 people, right? You got to open up the divider in the table, pull that thing out, and get extra tables and chairs and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, this was a big deal. And, and the point is this, that, that, that Martha loved Jesus very much. And she, she just was just working hard to please him. I mean, he deserved the best. And that's what she wanted to give him. But there was just, there was just way too much stuff to do by herself. And, and she just, you know, the harder she, the work, work, the more worked up she got. I mean, she was getting stressed out. And again, what happened next is what typically happens to, to you and, and me when we're busy and we're racing around trying to get something done and, and, and you notice people around you just kind of hanging out, talking, shooting the breeze, relaxing, watching TV. And, and you start to think, well, you know, you don't, you don't say it, but you're thinking, well, that must be nice. As my wife walks through the the living room from the laundry room to our bedroom with the 30th load of laundry of the day, right? And I'm sitting there watching a football game, and I'm like, oh, no, she's going to... Because she would rather be watching football than I would. But wouldn't that be nice? must be nice to sit down and, and, and rest a bit. And you begin to feel bitter and, and jealous in your heart, and you get annoyed, and you get frustrated, and you get irritated, and then you get downright mad. And you can just imagine, put yourself in this home with Mary and Martha, and Martha's there in the kitchen. You can just hear her in the kitchen banging pots and pans around, and the madder she gets, the louder it gets. And, 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 and all she can think about is her lazy little sister sitting out in the living room when she's slaving in the kitchen. And finally, it just builds up to the point that she explodes. And, 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 and what's interesting is she doesn't explode at Mary, you'd think she'd come out and tell off her sister, right? Well, she doesn't. She explodes at Jesus, and she actually rebukes Jesus. Look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. I mean, she took out her frustration on Christ, and accused him of being uncaring. You don't care. And so she tries to get, get him to tell Mary to help her. She wanted 
Jesus to rebuke Mary, but instead he rebuked her. Verse 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. You just hear that, right? Martha, Martha. We can all put our names in there, right? Whatever that is. Ken, Ken. Kelly, Kelly. You are worried and bothered about so many things. The fact that he repeated her name a couple times there, I think, shows tenderness and concern. It, he, he wants her to know that, you know what, Martha, I really do care about you. And he seeks to assuage her anger with affection. And he said, Mary, you're, you're just worried and, and bothered. You're fussing and fretting about, about everything here. You're, you're, just, you're just way too stressed out, girl. And it wasn't what she was doing as much as how she was doing it. It was the attitude. It was the focus. And she was putting too much stress on things that didn't matter. Notice what he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only what? One thing is necessary. You say, well, okay, I get it. One versus the many. Well, what is that one thing? Well, some have said over the years that he was referring to food here. Listen, Mary, Martha, I don't, I don't need this big spread, you know? I don't need all the beans and the squash and the, you know, of the thing, you know, just, this, just something simple. You don't have to go through all this trouble for me, Martha. Well, the context makes it clear that, that he wasn't talking about food. Notice the context, verse 42, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part or the good thing which shall not be taken away from her. Mary wasn't sitting at Jesus' feet with a Domino's pizza. Like, here, Jesus, I just got, you know, I just, you know, this was the quickest, easiest thing, here we are. And she did better because it was just a simple meal. That's, that's not what he was commending her for. Jesus is talking about, or was talking about what she had chosen to do. He was referring to her priorities. And Martha's priorities had gotten out of whack. And she was so busy working for Jesus that she didn't have time to spend with Jesus. She had allowed the, the fast pace of life if you will, to rob her of the great joy of intimate communion with Christ. She was concerned with work. She had let that become her priority. She had let that become the most important thing in her relationship with Christ is what she was doing for him. And so Jesus confronted her. He corrected her in order to help get her priorities back in line to see what was most important. And I think we should all ask ourselves this question, is our relationship with Christ defined by our service to him or our love for him? How is your relationship 
with Jesus Christ best defined? Is it based on the things you're doing for him? Or is it your love for him? You, you just love Jesus. How, how are you known by other people? When they look at your life, do they think, man, that, that, that guy or that guy, man, she's, she's really a hardworking, faithful servant of the Lord. Which is a commendable thing. Or when they think of you, they think, that guy, that gal, they just love Jesus. They just love Jesus. And oh, by the way, they work hard and they're faithful and they serve. And so the first priority here is being concerned with work, which again is not a bad thing. It's not like, okay, don't do that, don't be that. No, that's an important part of the Christian life. But the second priority, as we're going to see here, exemplified by Mary, is the more important priority, which is being consumed with worship. Being consumed with worship. Look at Mary in verse 39. In the midst of all the, 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 the chaos all around her, 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 her sister Martha, um, kind of the Tasmanian devil around the house, right? getting everything ready for Jesus and the disciples to, to, to serve them a meal, you've got this eye of the storm, if you will, <laughs> this, this, this quiet place. And it was called Mary. She had a sister called Mary, verse 39, who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. And so there she sat, riveted, at the feet of Jesus, listening, learning, hanging on every word, drinking in every word. This was the word incarnate. This was the incarnate word. This was not just the word of God. This was the incarnate word. And so she was sitting at his feet, drinking all this in. And again, this was a very customary position for a disciple in those days. They would sit at the feet of their teacher and it showed honor, it showed respect, it was an attitude of humility, it was an attitude of, of, of teachability. And I think it's interesting that all three times that Mary is mentioned in the Gospels, and there's several Marys, obviously, that are mentioned, but when you look at Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, when she's mentioned... The three times that she's mentioned in the Gospels, every time she is seated at the feet of Jesus. Every time. Here in, in, in Luke 10, in John 11, verse 32, uh, when her brother had died, Lazarus had died, and Jesus came three or four days later, in their minds, late. Um, Martha again came out and rebuked <laughs> Jesus. Jesus, if you had been here sooner, this wouldn't have happened. Our brother wouldn't have died. And then Mary comes running out and she, what? Falls at his feet and cries out to him for help. And then in John chapter 12, verse 3, after the resurrection of her brother, she was at Jesus' feet once again, anointing his feet with perfume. I mean, what a great example to be this godly woman who sat at the feet of Jesus. And notice again how Jesus commends her for this choice of sitting at his feet. Verse 42, only one thing is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Again, that one thing, this one thing 
I think we could say, would, would be communion with Christ or fellowship with Christ or adoration of Christ or undistracted devotion to Christ or you could just simply say worship. The other time this expression, one thing, is used uh, in the scriptures is you remember in the Old Testament, Psalm 27, verse 4, this is David. He said, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I will seek, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. I think it's safe to say that we could impose or transpose that heart of David, the heart of worship, that one thing, one thing I want more than anything else is to be able to dwell in the house of the Lord to behold the beauty of the Lord, to meditate in his temple. That's essentially what Mary was doing. She was beholding the beauty of the Lord. And that's what Jesus wanted more than anything else. He didn't want to be served as much as he wanted to be worshipped. And so Mary was consumed with with worship, that was her priority. That, that was the most important thing in her relationship to Christ. And unlike Martha, who was confronted and corrected, Mary was commended. She was commended. Well, that's the end of the exposition, the explanation of the text which leaves us to consider the application, which is very simple, I think very profound. Martha was so concerned about working for Christ that she was distracted from worshiping Christ. This is what you could call the the Martha syndrome, which is, I think, an easy trap to fall into. And, And again, I don't want to be like so many other preachers who just kind of bash Martha. They just throw Martha under the bus. Don't be like her. I don't think that's the point. She had a right heart. She had pure motives. She was trying to express her love for Christ by serving him. But she let her service draw her away from what was even more important, and that was seeking him and, and worshiping him. She thought she was doing the most important thing, She thought she was providing Jesus what he needed and and wanted the most, which was service. A.W. Pink said it well. He said, service becomes a snare and an evil if it be allowed to crowd out worship and cultivation of our own spiritual life. He didn't say that service was a snare or was evil. He said it becomes a snare. It it can become evil if it's allowed to crowd out worship and cultivation of one's own spiritual life. In other words, you get so busy serving Christ that you forget about just being with Christ. You, You get so busy in your schedule that you don't have time to spend with Jesus. You have no time for God to speak to you through his word. We get so involved in the, 
in, in the work of the Lord that we neglect the Lord of the work. I had a mentor years ago tell me, he said, Ken, always seek the Lord before you serve the Lord. Always seek the Lord before you serve the Lord. And, and, and I need to be reminded of that constantly because it seems like I'm always falling prey to the tyranny of the urgent. How about you? Have you ever read that little book, The Tyranny of the Urgent? If you've never read that, it's just a short little, I mean tiny, we're talking you could be done with that thing in five minutes, no lie. And it's a, it's, just a, it's a classic little book, The Tyranny of the Urgent. You can probably find it on Amazon. We might even have it in our resource center, The Tyranny of the Urgent. This is what it says. There's a couple quotes. Your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important things. Another quote, we have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we've done those things which we ought not to have done. In other words, you spend too much time on things that don't matter and not enough time on things that do. We focus too much on the incidentals rather than the essentials. Again, we're talking about basic Time management, when it comes down to it, right? It's just the basic principle is you do the most important thing what? First. Which is usually the hardest thing. You've heard that if you've read books on time management. Always do the hardest thing first. Get that done, get that, get that out of the way, and then everything else will be easy. The rest of your day will fly by, right? Well, usually the hardest thing is the most important thing. And we typically leave that to the end, and then it never gets done. And uh, for example, I think a, a great practical application is our quiet time. The most important thing that we could do on any given day is to open up this thing right here and spend some time seeking God's face through prayer and his word and asking him to speak to us through the scriptures to teach us the things he wants us to know so we can be who he wants us to be, to prepare our hearts and our minds for the day, uh, especially if we have a lot to do. The old um, church fathers would confess that on days that they were particularly busy, rather than praying less, like we tend to do, I tend to do, oh, I got, I got, I got a lot to do, I, I don't have time to pray today, I just got to get after it. They said they would pray more. Instead of praying one hour, they would pray two hours. <laughs> they had their priorities straight. And see, when we, when we worship, and that's given the priority of the day, everything seems to fall into place. But when we work, without worshiping, everything seems to fall apart, doesn't it? And so I think worshiping is the key to working, seeking the face of Christ is the key to serving Christ. One of my favorite books that I've ever read is by Dr. Kent Hughes and it's titled Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. And he tells a story in that book, and I've never forgotten it, that this ambitious young man shows up 
to a logging company one day and he speaks to the foreman and he says, hey, I'd like, I'd like a job cutting down trees. And so the foreman hands him an ax and points him to a tree and says, well, let me see, cut down that tree. And, and the, the foreman was amazed at how strong and, and deaf this guy was with that ax and he says, you're hired. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I mean, he is working like crazy at this logging company. And at the end of the day on Thursday, um, the man says, you can pick up your, the foreman comes to him and says, you can pick up your check at the, at the, at the office. And the young man said, well, I thought we got paid on Friday. He says, well, we normally do, but we're going to let you go today. He says, let me go. I, what are you talking about? He says, well, your work has diminished over the week. Uh, your, your numbers are falling off. And he's like, how can that be? I work harder than anybody in this whole forest. I, I'm here before anyone else. I, I stay longer than anyone else. I even work through my lunch breaks and coffee breaks. And the foreman could tell this guy had integrity and he said, um, by any chance have you been sharpening your axe? And he said, I've been too busy cutting down trees. <laughs> and you think about how unthinkable, uh, how obvious a mistake that would be, right? But how many of us are hacking our way through life with dull axes because we're so busy doing stuff, right, that we're not taking the time to sharpen the axe by spending time in the Word and prayer on a daily basis. By the way, this is a good time to, for a commercial commercial break. Daily Bible Reading Calendar 2018. We got one of these for all of you, just as a, a Christmas gift, a New Year's gift. Um, if you've never really gotten into the habit of having a daily quiet time, part of the challenge is knowing what to do, what to read, what do I do? I, okay, I'm going to set aside 10 minutes, 15 minutes, a half hour at the beginning of every day this new year, and what do I do? Well, here's a little calendar that uh, you can just follow, and it will take you through the entire Bible in a year. Now, if this is the first time you've ever attempted this, that might be a lot to bite off, and that's okay. Just, just maybe read through the Old Testament, or read through the New Testament, or just read the Psalms or the Proverbs, but they give you a little schedule that you can follow. And this is a very helpful tool, and we have these somewhere. I don't see them on the back table this morning, but we've got some of these available. You can always get them at the church office. Uh, we'll even order some more. If you're serious about wanting to use this, uh, we'll get some more so that you have a copy of that. Again, just so that we can stay focused on Christ. You see, Mary was so consumed with worshiping Christ that she was undistracted by the work that had to be done for Christ. Doesn't mean she wasn't doing it. Mary was not a lazy person. This is not an excuse for not working or, or serving, right? And you see somebody standing over in the corner, everybody else is working, and you go over and say, hey, well, can you help us? Oh, I'm just worshiping Jesus right now. I'm just worshiping Jesus. Yeah, right. Pick up, stack the chairs, okay? That, that, that's not the, it's not an excuse. The, the point is we must be concerned about working for Christ, but we must not let it distract us from being consumed with worshiping Christ because that's far more important. Our most important priority is worshiping Christ. And the best way to express 
love for Christ is not doing stuff for him, but being with him. That's what he wants most, according to this story. I can't say I've learned this lesson, but I distinctly remember a moment in our marriage years ago when this lesson was put before me, and I'm continually learning this, and there was just, you know, one evening, uh, I was busy around the house tackling that list of honeydews as we all get motivated from time to time, guys, right? We, I'm going to do all these things, and my wife has asked me to fix this and, you know, tighten that and sort out that, and, you know, so running around doing all this stuff and getting all these stuff done, and I'm checking these things off the list and going, man, man, Kelly's going to be so happy with me tonight, and you never know what kind of reward I might get, you know, for being such a good husband, and we get in bed that evening, and she's, like, on the other side of the bed with her back turned to me, and I'm like, well, this doesn't make any sense. She should be, like, really happy and thankful and and I'm like hey babe is everything okay I thought you'd be like really happy that that I got all this stuff accomplished and and uh you've been wanting me to get these things done for a while now and they're done and and she turned over and said well I I just really wanted just to sit on the couch and talk with you tonight it's one of those guys moments you're like oh how did I miss that? You know? Oblivious. But I'll never forget that because it was like, yeah, duh. I get that. Now, I was supposed to figure that out. You know that, guys, right? We were supposed to, she didn't tell me that. She could have just told me that and it would have happened. But I was supposed to figure it out and I didn't. So, but I'm learning, right? But the point was, you know what? That's, that's Jesus. He, he just wants to be with us. If he could have anything, he just wants to be with us. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this is, I think, a good place to kind of end our thoughts this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And again, this is an interesting context. All of 1 Corinthians 7 is talking about marriage and Paul's instruction on, to, to husbands and wives and And in in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. In the same way, the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So he's not saying marriage is a bad thing because it, it, it makes you distracted. It causes your interest to be divided. You just, you just can't focus on pleasing the Lord. You also have to focus on pleasing your spouse, which is right and good and commendable. But notice verse 35. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you. In other words, I'm not, I'm not telling you to not get married. I'm not telling you that. But to promote what is appropriate and to secure, here it is, undistracted devotion to the Lord. 
And I don't think that undistracted devotion to the Lord is only possible for young people who aren't married yet. This is a classic text to preach to college kids. Hey, maximize this season of your life where you're undistracted and your voice is which is true. Amen, preach it. But ultimately, that's God's heart for all of us, married, whether we're unmarried or married, to be undistracted in our devotion to the Lord. There may be someone here this morning who is not a Christian. And you're like, so what? This really doesn't relate to me. This is kind of more of a message for, for Christians, not unbelievers. Well, I think not, because this is a, a good reminder, I think, in principle, that Jesus isn't looking for a bunch of religious activity from us. He doesn't want you running around trying to do all these things, a, a bunch of good works, trying to work your way into heaven. In fact, there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Jesus had to do everything for you. And we're learning about this in the book of Romans, but let me just read for you what Paul said in Galatians 2.16. He said, A man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. In other words, it's not believing in Jesus plus living a good life that saves us, that earns our way to heaven. No, it's believing in Jesus. It's trusting in the work that Christ has done for us that we could have never done. which leads us to want to live a life that's pleasing to him. So all that being said, salvation comes when we stop trying to work our way to heaven and simply become a worshiper of the one who came from heaven to do the work for us. And that's Jesus Christ. And so if you are one of those to hear this morning that you're just working, man, you're just trying really hard to be a good person and, and to do the right thing and, and, and to be right with God, listen, stop working so hard. What did Jesus say? Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. My yoke is not heavy, it's light. Unlike the Pharisees' yoke that they put on you and, and said you have to do this and this and this and all this list of to-dos that you have to do in order to be right with God. Now you just need to start being consumed with worshiping Christ. The only one who can make you right with God and to just humbly bow and to submit to Jesus Christ and listen to his word and obey his word. That's essentially what it means to be a Christian. And so whether you're a believer or an unbeliever here, I think there's great encouragement, there's great hope, there's great inspiration in this text, especially as we head, head, head into a new year 
The question is, where will our priority be? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this simple story that really packs a punch. I know it is something that I needed to be reminded of after the busyness of this past week and really this whole season and and even as we start into a new year, what an opportunity for each of us to resolve in our hearts that we are going to seek you before we serve you. And that we're going to make it a priority to spend time in your presence, seated at the feet of Christ, as it were, with our Bibles opened and our knees bowed, spending time with him, worshiping him, listening to him, communing with him, fellowshipping with him. And from that time with Christ will flow a life of faithful service and total dependence upon him and in his power and in his grace. And so, Lord, help us to, um, by your spirit, appropriate, apply this message to our lives as we launch again into a new year tomorrow morning. What a, what a great opportunity to, for a fresh start, to forget what lies behind and to press on towards what lies ahead. May we all pursue knowing Christ and becoming more like Christ this next year for your glory we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.